Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. In a moment we've got a fantastic guest joining us to talk about equality, diversity and inclusion both in the companies that we run in our industry but also in how we help clients make a real difference. So a real a topic that's on many recruitment leaders minds right now and uh, fantastic to have a chance to dive into that with our guest Nikki Pritchard from Anderson Quigley in just a moment. Now it's uh, the start of term as it were I hope uh, those of you who were getting kids off to school uh, at the end of last week or the beginning of this week didn't find it too tumultuous an experience. Certainly the Carberry kids are back at primary and secondary school respectively. As we uh, go into the autumn we're taking stock of all of the data we've seen over the summer. We published Jobs Outlook on the 25th of August, which suggested that that level of demand for employers and that positive economic outlook that we've seen over the last six months was persisting. So those shortages that we've been hearing about and you've all been reporting to us at the REC, likely to stick with us for a while yet. The latest data on billings in the industry, both permanent placements and temporary billings, will be out on the 9th of September. So look out for that. That's our August billings data. And that will tell us the hard facts on how well the industry is doing. But the last few months, we've seen really stellar numbers in those surveys as the industry scrabbles to keep up with client demand in what is a shrinking candidate market as employment soars back from the pandemic. Really, I think that market challenges and opportunities for REC members, thinking in terms of those those of us who can set out the right strategies for clients who are needing to rethink how they engage, whether it's temporary work, it's early career workers they're training up, or whether it's uh, mid-career workers being hired directors, perms. There's a real opportunity, I think, for the whole industry to step up in advising clients on how to resource their workforce well over the next year or two in this uh, unprecedented time. But also, as part of that, uh, use the REC's data, our jobs recovery tracker, jobs outlook and report on jobs to make it clear that that tightness that you're seeing and you're reporting to clients absolutely is what we're seeing across most sectors and all of the country right now. Of course, we are also working hard on all of the campaigning issues that will help solve this, changes to how skills work in all four jurisdictions, immigration, right to work checks, of course, uh, tax like IR35, lots going on there. Do check in on the REC website for all the latest on our campaigns work. Also on there, you'll see a range of business support guides that we've put out to help you as you bounce back. Do check out the REC uh, 2021 digital guide, which captures all of the business advice and, and guidance from our conference in June and makes it available to members directly. Also, have a look at our new business advice pages. We'll be rolling those out progressively over the autumn, starting with new businesses and starting up your business through to scaling up your business and then corporate transactions, exits, investments and so forth. All of that's going to be available on the website alongside, as you'd expect, the usual advice. Most uh, important one right now, that back to the office hub with all the information on hybrid working and on vaccine policy that you will need as you bring more and more people back into the workplace. 
I just want to finish, though, too, before I pass on to our guest for today by saying thank you. Over the summer, we've had all of the REC members taking the compliance test. The support that you've shown for that high standard has been really great. And I'm delighted that we've got th- uh, we've got uh, we've got the 2021 test done with so many REC members doing so well on the test. So thank you for your commitment to that. We know that it really matters when we talk about the good the industry does that people can see that we mean what we say through things like the compliance test. So I wanted to finish this introduction just by saying thank you. And now let's turn to today's discussion. Nikki, welcome to the REC podcast. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for having me and for giving me the opportunity to share some of the insights and experiences that Anderson Quigley has been through on our EDI journey to date, ongoing, of course, but um, I'm really hoping it will help support some other organisations and their own strategies. Well, I think that, that it's great to have you with us. And I think the story that you tell the Anderson Quigley story is very clearly that you know what you are out in the market is also what you are internally. So why don't you just kick us off by telling us a little bit about the business and then maybe move on to how EDI became a core part of what your business stands for and how you work? Of course, sure. So we're an executive search and interim management consultancy, and we supply the public sector primarily, so higher education and schools, not-for-profit and and health and some other smaller areas. And we were founded four and a half years ago by a group of uh, industry experts. And we've grown, you know, quite quickly over the last four years. Obviously, the uh, the last 18 months had a slight impact, but we've managed to secure a brilliant team, you know, through the through the COVID challenges. And diversity has been very important to us, you know, right from the very beginning. It's one of our core AQ values. So it's very integral to our business culture. So as we were developing what AQ looked like from the start, it was always something that was was part of our business strategy. It was not a bolt on in any way. It was, you know, very important to, to ensure that it was part of how we developed and grew Anderson quickly. So if you look at setting AQ up, you said a couple of things that will place you in the market for listeners quite clearly. You know, public sector clients, lots of public sector clients are clearly working with businesses who have Equality Act duties sitting with them in terms of making sure that EDI is is part of how they attract, hire and then retain staff and also search. So we lots of that focus about the balance of inclusion and leadership in organisations. Now, the cynic might say those are two areas where there's a big push to a firm in the, in the sector to want to do something on this so i suppose that the the question that i had in my mind is how is it uniquely aq how do you make sure that what you're saying about what you're doing in edi as a business and that it runs through how you set up how do you make sure that is purposeful and about you and not just about responding to signals from the market however important they are yeah, that's that's really important now because I think, um, and especially as we've seen over the last couple of years, often people's EDI uh, work and strategies can can be reactionary to things that are happening out within uh, you know the general public. So it you know it could be things that are happening, external events or social commentary. Businesses make public announcements or support to enact change, but 
unless you've got a really clear EDI strategy in place internally and you're committed to continually scrutinise that, that, as well as all the other business pressures that you have, you're not going to be able to provide that support in your external strategies to your clients and candidates. So maybe if I talk a little bit about how at AQ we've developed what our EDI strategy is. And I will say that it's it's ongoing. A strategy is never going to be, you know, a final strategy put in place. It's something that needs to be scrutinised, evolve. It needs to be, you know, concentrated on year upon year to ensure that it's fit for purpose and, and that it's right for your organisation. And probably what I would say to preface this is that you know, this is Anderson Quigley's journey as a new and growing business. But like many companies, I think a lot of what we've experienced and, and, and the things that we've put in place can absolutely benefit other companies, regardless of how big they are or where in their you know levels of maturity they are. So for us, it was about setting a really sound strategy. And it's come in some kind of main areas, which I'll talk about. So first and foremost, diversity is a core of of an Anderson Quigley value. So it's integral to our business culture. We've got a very inclusive and supportive culture within the team. So we want to continually empower people to develop, to be better at what they do. And as you said, we work in the public sector. So we are used to working within um, parameters of concentrating on EDI. We take a lot of pride in this. And our teams are very passionate about working in the public sector and supplying to them. So we have a really strong senior leadership support and a commitment to EDI. So this is embedded into our wider business strategy. And that's important because it shouldn't be a bolt-on project. It shouldn't be something that is only considered at certain times of the year or when external factors come into it. It needs to be integral to the overall direction of your business. So for us, that is important. It's um, it's integral to, to how we have shaped and scoped our business strategy overall. Just picking up on that, there's a couple of things I think I'm hearing you saying to people who are listening here. One is, it's action, not words. So you have to be action-oriented in yes. terms of making it something your leadership really falls through on. And the other one I think is, is a slightly subtle point, which is about environment, which is about making it relevant to you. So if we come back to my my slightly cynical question earlier about working with clients in the public sector who have an Equality Act duty, that is just a, a factor that might change how you move things forward. It doesn't change the, purpo- the, 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 the purpose that sits at the heart of the business, which is making you know, equality, diversity, and inclusion a core part of your offer. Yes, that's right. And, you know, as a supplier, if we talk about, say, higher education, for example, of course, you know, we are supplying uh, a sector that, that has a very strong commitment to, 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 to EDI. As a business supplying, we have to also understand organisation by organisation what that really means. So, you know, do we know what, what one particular client's objectives are around EDI? You know, do we know what they're trying to achieve? Do we understand throughout the organisation how we can support that? So it's part of, of our process. As much as you need to understand a client and their needs around recruiting for a specific role, we need to also understand, well, what are their objectives within EDI and how can we embed that within the process that we're running? You see, that I think is really interesting, which is that doesn't sound any different to how we'd all think about 
forming client relationships that perhaps one of the the challenges is making sure we don't think of EDI as separate, but actually the EDI EDI is part of our client relationship in terms of understanding the client starting point and whether they are, for instance, a higher education institution is very committed already, or on the other side, actually a business uh, who maybe haven't seen the value of this yet, although you as a as a firm will know that it could be transformational for them in terms of wider talent pools, and we all know how tight the talent pool is at the moment, and in terms of diversity of thought and progress. This is this is sounding to me like EDNI still super important, still top of the list, but actually a core part of how we do business as a sector going forward rather than something that we do alongside the core the core work. Yes, I couldn't agree with that more. It needs to be central to how we're dealing with our clients and with our candidates. And, you know, as you say, understanding what a client's objectives are within the whole process is just part of, of what we do. So let's focus in a bit on AQ specifically, because you said something earlier on that I want to pick up on, which is, you know, how you are internally, what you do as AQ as a business, that not only gets you into the right place, but it also enables you to to serve clients in the way that you need to. How does the internal and getting all that internal culture right impact your performance as a business? It does hugely. And I very much believe that unless you have that internal uh, practice running really smoothly and continuing to evolve it, evolve it, you're not being authentic in, in the work that you're doing externally with your clients. So I talked a little bit about, you know, diversity being the core of, of, of one of AQ's values, that we've got really strong commitment and support from leadership. So that's important, again, to make sure that it's embedded in, in your wider business strategy. Having someone at senior level who takes accountability for EDI, now that doesn't mean this person is responsible for all of the EDI work that happens within a business, but it just means that they take final accountability. And and much like senior board members or senior team leaders may take accountability for areas of the business like finance or governance, EDI should be no different. It should be another concentration point. And then educating and training your staff. So this has been um, a huge part of our development at Anderson Quigley. We decided uh, as a starting point that staff needed to have a, a really good general understanding of equality legislation and then how that applies to the role that they are fulfilling within the business. And then we've built on that education piece and we've partnered with an EDI consultancy to help develop our training programs. And we've used a combination of all team training and also one-to-one mentoring. And we think that's really important because not all staff obviously have the same job role. They don't have the same level of understanding, perhaps, with EDI. They might be at different journeys and have different types of learning and support needs. And it's really important to be able to develop your knowledge in a, in a safe and, and confidential environment. You can get greater learning leaps and engagement in EDI through that way. So that's why we, we opted to take a one-to-one mentoring style training program. And let's be honest, it's not always comfortable to talk about EDI topics, especially in, in a wider group setting. 
there are people who are you know underconfident perhaps uh, might be a bit concerned about saying the wrong thing and feeling exposed uh, and that can often be exacerbated with more senior staff where there just might be an expectation that they should know this and so asking questions um, might not seem appropriate and we really don't expect all staff to engage in EDI equally everyone feels differently about it but what we do expect and ask of staff is that they have a growth mindset and they're willing to work on this with us. That's really sharp, Nikki, in terms of the what I think it, on the previous podcast I described as a bit of a handbrake on on EDI, which is the fear of the fear of getting it wrong. Yes. And, you know, we had a big discussion last year about the difference between not being racist and being actively anti-racist around the Black Lives Matter movement. And the difference is, are you passively not making the problem worse as a company, as a company or as an individual business leader, or are you at taking action to improve things? And that fear of getting things wrong is probably the the biggest inhibitor we now have in terms of moving things forward. Certainly, in terms of giving people. F- safe space to explore the issues to build up that literacy of how to talk about issues and and importantly to listen to diverse perspectives so that one-to-one support piece that you're doing with staff seems really innovative and important to giving everyone the ability to put up their hand and raise a question or to take some action that maybe might have felt forbidding for them before is that reasonable That's absolutely the reason that we did it. And yes, you're right. There is many organisations that, especially over the last couple of years, um, have, have wanted to be part of the solution to this problem. But sometimes putting your head up above the parapet is is daunting. Um, and so it can galvanise, you know, people or, or stop them from, from possibly doing anything, which, are, you know, we feel is not the right way to go about it. But again, it's about having those sound strategies so that um, you're working towards something. We don't have all the answers right now. Everything is evolving very quickly. But as long as we are part of helping to solve this problem in any small way that we can or any large way that we can, then we have a responsibility to do so. And as recruiters, you know, we are in a privileged position to support organisations to be more diverse, you know, with diversity of, of background, of experiences, of skills and of thought. And so being in that position, we also have responsibility to do so. That's fantastic, Nikki. You talked us through the AQ story earlier. Um, what's really interesting there is, despite the fact that it's still quite a young business, still quite a small business, you're putting a lot into this in terms of being a part of what you do. And you know, I can almost hear kind of the cynical question being, well, if we're a small business, can we afford to do this? Why do you think it's really important for even a small business in the sector to be establishing their strategy for EDNI and looking to make a difference on it? Well, research does show that the more diverse an organisation is, and particular senior leadership teams and boards, it has a positive effect on financial performance. Now, that's clear, and there is many research um, studies out there that, to, to show that. But 
It can also support stronger staff engagement and job satisfaction. Um, so obviously, as, as a small business, we really want that. We want our team to feel like they're part of what we're trying to, to create and that they, you know, they can see a future in their with their career with Anderson Quigley. It can help lower employee turnover. You know, if, if if employees feel valued and empowered that they can bring their their full self to work, it's only going to make them happier, uh, more productive, and uh, and and make them want to stay with your business. And then I'd say it's important for talent attraction. So if candidates understand that Anderson Quigley has a really strong commitment to DNI and they view us as an inclusive culture then it's only going to be more attractive to them to join us. So, you know, trying to attract really strong talent for any small business is a challenge. If it, if you can do something that actually, uh, you know, moves the, the needle forward on why you should be the company that someone comes to work for, then you should be doing it. And ED&I is absolutely a place where you can do that. Create an organisation that is more inclusive, that is constantly working on uh, EDI and, and the direction. And then, you know, you will look a lot more attractive to a prospective candidate. I think that's really interesting because just a, a week or two ago, I, I did one of our regional roundtables still on Zoom, but not for much longer, I'm pleased to say. And REC members on there were talking about actually one of the biggest challenges right now is good staff in the industry, attracting people into the industry and attracting them to stay with with your firm. And one of the, you, we know the kind of textbook answer to this, which is if you widen the pool, you've got a wider pool to, uh, to fish in and potentially you get as you've said, Nikki, diverse and new ideas and new approaches that are going to be beneficial to your long-term growth. I think all of that applies to the industry internally, but of course, it's absolutely essential, as you said, to being able to talk to clients on the level, isn't it? It is, it is. And, you know, really, as I said, it, it's taking all of this learning that we're doing internally and it's ploughing that back into what our external strategies look like. You know, if we can... If we can better understand what our clients need, if we can discuss it in, you know, intelligent EDI language, if we can deliver on what their objectives are, and also if we can sometimes challenge them as well. So, you know, as a, as a search supplier, you know, we're put in a, in a position of expertise. You know, we are there to provide a service to our clients that they can't do internally. So part of that does involve EDI as well. So if we are more educated and can talk intelligently about this, then we are absolutely adding to what we can provide to our clients. That is fascinating on the basis that everything we're doing at the REC this year around our whole recruitment for recovery campaign is about talking to the client side and talking increasingly in this labour market to the candidate side as well, but also talking to the government and the media about what we do as recruitment and staffing firms being a professional service, being high skill, being about people, a good process enabled by strong and skilled people rather than just a, a, a process a procurement, if you will. And here is a core example of that, isn't it? firms that get this right, it could be a real difference maker in what is a unique labour market that we're facing at the moment. Absolutely. We we are, as I said, in this privileged position as recruiters to be, you know, providing to our clients the widest possible pool of candidates and to actually really impact and make a change on diversity. 
just drawing our chat towards its close, Nikki, a couple of questions that are on my mind. You clearly made a really good start with on this uh, with AQ, but you mentioned yourself earlier. It's you know it's never done. What does the next year or two look like for the business in terms of really making further progress on this? So the strategy I talked about is continually evolving, um, and and we do work on that quite regularly. We have brought staff into supporting that, you know, being inclusive. We've gone out and asked staff what do they think should be in the AQ EDI strategy and how do they think that should evolve. Partnerships are really important. So we always look to other organisations or networks that we can partner with. So, for example, we work with women on boards to support better gender diversity in in non-executive director roles. And this complements our broader network that we do at AQ. We have a partnership with the Rio Ferdinand Foundation where we support their youth development programs, particularly around employability skills and our staff volunteer to be part of workshops on topics like CV writing and interview skills, and generally also to help open up networks, wider networks for young people in in some disadvantaged communities. So we always look to where we can partner with other, um, as I said, networks or organisations, you know, to further develop what we're doing. Importantly, we're always talking about EDI within our business and we want to normalise that. So something we we recently implemented was it was an EDI monthly newsletter, which is it's an internal um, uh, project and uh, we, we focus it around the diversity calendar. So each month we discuss different topics, whether that be legislation, language that we're using, lived experience stories. It's a it's a good read, but it's also a really good, valuable learning resource, and it's something that staff can return to, with uh, you know having conversations with clients or even in writing proposals. So we're continuing to look at how we can evolve and develop. A lot of that will be um, around our strategy and you know the areas um, of our strategy, which are really centered around leadership and culture and how we can further develop that, the training and learning piece and the communication piece. And whilst at the moment, a lot of that communication is internal as we continue to grow and learn, that will become external as well. So we'll become, I guess, a little more vocal externally in, in the work that we're doing. We have felt to date that actually until we got our own house in order and until we really cultivated what EDI was to AQ, we didn't feel as comfortable talking about it externally as much. But that will change because we do feel having done a lot of work in this area, a lot more confident about talking externally about this and the work that we're doing. That's great, Nikki. You clearly made a lot of progress in in what you're doing. And I think many people will see the parallels in other areas of how recruiters engage in thought leadership and market making with clients based on their expertise you know you do always want to have your own house in order first and you've done some some significant work already at AQ I suppose if I'm the owner operator uh, the MD of a of a small uh, recruitment firm maybe not in search maybe in in staffing or one of the other parts of the sector and listening to this podcast, the question that is probably at the front of their mind is, well, how do I start? So if there was one thing you could say to to that person who's got kind of goodwill and a willingness to take action, where should they start? What should they start with? I think it's important to 
recognize where you might have some expertise within your business already? Are there people within the business that have a real passion about EDI? Is there kind of resource that you already have that you could look to to start conversations? And then I'd look externally. You know, one of the the hugely positive things we did was engage with a consultancy on this because, you know, we we weren't necessarily the experts in this area within our own business and knowing how to how to progress. So um, they they really did help lay out a bit more of a roadmap of, well, what do you need to concentrate on first? You know, you really do need to concentrate on what does it mean to you as a business? Why do you want to focus on EDI? What kind of strategy you're going to put in place, and then you build from there. So, absolutely, find find someone who can be that external support. Read as much as you can. You know, there is so much information out there for small businesses on um, on on this work and 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 how you develop it. You know, everything from blogs to you know to books. So I'd say get more involved in in what's currently happening within within um, the rest within your sector potentially, but within the wider recruitment sector and what other companies are doing. Very similar to the sorts of added value positioning you might see that same business doing in other in the sector they serve. You know, if they if they're in engineering or construction or a sector like that, that sense of reading and appreciate that beyond the organisation there are potential partners there that are uh, that have value certainly uh, you know, while the REC has long been really focused on ED and I one of the one of the things we've done just this summer is appoint a couple of ambassadors who are well-known people, Scarlett Allen Horton and Hugo Monnier, to help us get that message out around what the industry can do. And their advice is going to be super important to me and the REC team in, in getting our support to, to the industry, right? So long as I can persuade uh, Hugo to take off his dancing shoes for an hour or two this autumn as he's lighting up the Strictly Ballroom. But that piece around there being friends outside the organisation with input that will help, I think is a really good thought to leave people with. Nikki, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the pod today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Neil. I've really enjoyed it. Well, thanks again to Nikki for joining us on uh, today's podcast. Really interesting discussion on equality, diversity and inclusion from the perspective of a small firm in the industry and, and why it really matters to them and how it can be a business winner and a difference maker. If you've enjoyed this, why not try one or two of our previous podcasts that are available on the pod? Try, for instance, the great chat Kate did with Julia Ross on driving recruitment service ethics in episode 15. Or try episode 14, which I did with Phil Selleck on the digital transformation of the industry. Two uh, different issues that are on many recruitment leaders' minds at the moment. do hope you enjoyed those podcasts if you haven't had a chance to dig into them yet. And of course, check in with us again when we launch our next episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.